2: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics
3: of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome, my friends, once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, As always, Alan Dempsey, he's the man behind the glass. He does the engineering. Uh, Andrew Herdliska produces this show every weekend. My guest in the first segment, Dr. Lee Bauckham. He's in Louisville, Kentucky, creator of the Internet Marriage Program, Save the Marriage, trained as a therapist and life coach. His new book is out, The Immutable Laws of Living. Lee, great to... Hook up with you here. Thanks for joining me.
4: Uh, thank you so much for having me.
3: Uh, so what's the story here? Are there laws of living? Have you figured something out here?
4: <laughs> well, unfortunately, the way I figured them out is because I've broken every single one that I talked about. So uh, the, what I discovered is that there are times, this is over the years, both in my own life and in, in my lives of clients, that they, they seem to be getting stuck. You know, they wanted to be making progress. And instead, they found themselves uh, kind of stuck, and I realized that there were some very common threads of assumptions they were making and realized that it basically were these laws that they were violating without even realizing that the law was there.
3: Well, let's get started. Uh, You uh, lay out some very interesting uh, discussion points. The first one, you say, life is not fair. Uh, Fill us in on that.
4: Yeah, and, and I think most people, uh, you know, we, we say it to our kids, kids come up and they say, oh, that's not fair. We say, well, life isn't fair. And uh, unfortunately, we don't really take that in for ourselves. Uh, what we really want is for life to be fair. Um, I, I, and I tell the story in the book, my, my brother and I were, were only 18 months apart, and when I was young, when we were young, my parents had this rule, because we were just little bear cubs fighting, that we had to divide that cookie, and one of us would divide and the other would choose the, the part. And, you know, never has a cookie been more evenly split than when we one of us knew the other was going to choose it, because we wanted it to be fair. Mm. And so there's this childhood belief that things just should be fair, that, that somehow uh the universe is supposed to make everything fair and it, and we drag that into adulthood and not realizing that that things aren't fair uh that there is no no place that's not even in the design of the world i mean that there's there's uh unfairness all around us bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people and that's just kind of the nature of the world and and when we get stuck in that we get frozen um, and so the way we violate the rule is is kind of or the law is is waiting for things to be fair, waiting for that that moment when we can go, okay, it's fair now. I've got my fair share, and that keeps us stuck. Rather than saying that that's really not the point. Uh, the point has never been about being fair. And so when we're when we're called in that, we're constantly just waiting for the fairness to come in.
3: Tell us now about the second issue. Life has challenges.
4: Yeah, and so part of what happens in this, we'll, we'll drag that first one, and it's the interesting thing about these laws is they all um, kind of go back and forth. So if we're waiting for something to be fair, part of what we're often upset about is that there's a challenge that's come along. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of times people have come to believe that something must be wrong with their life if something some challenges come their way. Um, and I've, I've heard this in so many kind of religious discussions that, you know, I must be on the wrong path because something tough happened. Uh, and, and the fact is that life is like that. I mean, we have challenges that constantly come our way, and the question is not whether there's a challenge, but what we do with the challenge. Um, so for years ago, um, I, I got sick, pretty sick, uh, scary sick, and... After the end of that, when I actually recovered, uh, one of the things I realized was I was out of shape, and so I started trying to figure out how to treat my body better to make sure that, I, that my body got me longer along in life than I thought it was going to, and so I started going back to the gym, and, and there's something I discovered at the gym. When uh, I wanted to build up muscle, I had to challenge it. Um, it the, if I just walked around saying, you know, it ought to be stronger, it ought to be bigger, I don't know what's wrong with it, I don't know why that it's just not growing on its own, rather than saying, how do, how do I challenge it, how do I move it in a way that's a challenge to it, how do I pick up heavy stuff and make it stronger, because if I pick up some heavy stuff today, next week I can pick up heavier stuff, and the week after that, heavier stuff, and I'm building up the muscles that let me take on life. And so the error in this is saying there shouldn't be any challenges. That There's something wrong in my life when there's a challenge. The way we can move forward is if we say, you know what, I'm taking on these challenges as opportunities to grow, of discovering who I am and, and what I'm about, and that it gives me the resources later on in order for me to uh, to live a bigger life, to, to have more um, the preparation for the next challenges that are absolutely going to come our way.
3: Now, Lee, I want you to talk about life isn't about happiness.
4: Yeah, uh, and, and that's, the, that's one that a lot of people uh, aren't happy about. <laughs> uh, they, they tell me that that's what they, they've been trying to base everything on, is, is getting to the place where they're finally happy. Uh, and so I always ask, so what would do that? And the word happy and the word happen come from the same root. Something happens to us that makes us happy. There's something external. And so when I ask people, you know, what's going to make you happy, um, it's X amount of dollars, it's X kind of job, it's uh, the right kind of relationship or that new shiny car or, you know, the vacation or, or whatever it is. It's something that has to be out there that's going to happen to them. And so they're waiting for something external to make them happy. Um, so the first thing that, that gets us stuck is we're waiting for that thing out there over which we, we don't have full control. Uh, and so that happy out there uh, is the first mistake we're waiting for out there. The second thing is we underestimate the fact that we all just get used to whatever's going on. Uh, so that shiny new car that's bound to make them happy you know, a month later, it's just that car. And then when they have to take it in for repairs, it's that darn car that, you know, <laughs> is costing them more money now. Um And that position that was going to be so great, uh, that was gonna, what's going to make them happy. And suddenly it's not, not the, the position. You know, it's the responsibilities that are weighing on them. And, and then they're waiting for the next thing. And so when we get caught into the kind of the hamster wheel of chasing after that happy thing, it it's churning through thing after thing that's finally gonna do it. And it's always just a little bit out. And when that happens we're always waiting for the next to happen. Um, so I my feeling is that that's we're not here about happy. Um and I think we're here about doing something meaningful and, and doing something with purpose, which is something I actually move to later on in the book. That we're not it's, the design of life is not uh, some guarantee of happiness, or that we we should even necessarily worry about pursuing that.
3: Doctor Lee Barkham is with us. His new book is out. It's called The Immutable Laws of Living. A uh, fourth law: Thoughts are just thoughts. You tell us, Lee. Yeah.
4: Uh, and, and another one that frustrates people, uh, we put so much stock in what our mind does, and what we fail to realize is that the design of our mind is just to create thoughts. Some are going to be really helpful, and some are going to be really destructive and not so helpful and and I mean, If you think about everything that's around us that you know is kind of the man made world started in a thought, but so have all the tragedies. In the world that are man-made, we've created those tragedies with the same fault. Somebody had some other fault that led them that way. So, in a broad context, you know, we we create this reality around us, starting in a fault. The problem with us is that we humans tend to confuse our thinking with reality, and so we start making assumptions. So, I'm driving down the street um, and. Let's say I'm I'm going I'm downtown and I'm pulling through and I look over and I see this person who's just kind of staring at me. You know, I can just see that that look. And the light turns green and I proceed on. And I'm I keep thinking about that person and and I, I wonder what did I do to that person? Is that is that someone I knew or did I pull up too close to them and? So I might be chastising myself for maybe the way I was driving, or maybe I was I was going, wow, that person had no right to be looking at me that way, and how dare they do that? I would go back and tell them. I mean, there are lots of ways our thinking can start going.
3: My guest, Dr. Lee Bauckham. We've got more with Lee. He's in Louisville, Kentucky. We're talking about his book, The Immutable Laws of Living. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat
2: Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word.
5: Attention credit card holders. The secret that credit card companies don't want you to know is getting out. Thousands of people across the country are now settling their debts for a fraction of what they owe, thanks to National Debt Relief. The secret is that if you're struggling with or simply can't afford your monthly credit card payments, you now have the legal means to resolve your debt with your lenders, substantially reducing what you owe into one low monthly payment. You don't have to worry about bankruptcy or falling deeper into debt. You can now save thousands of dollars, even tens of thousands and be debt free faster than you ever thought possible there are no upfront fees and satisfaction is guaranteed if you're struggling with at least ten thousand dollars in credit card debt medical bills private student loans or personal loans call national debt relief now for a free quote on how much of your debt can be reduced get this free life-changing information now by dialing 800-506-2760 800-506-2760 that's 800-506-2760
2: Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 530 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word.
3: This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Percorny. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design, right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word.
2: You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on
3: 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Dr. Lee Bauckham has joined us uh, from his office in Louisville, Kentucky. We're talking about his book, The Immutable Laws of Living. Lee, you tell us that every perspective is limited. Uh, What does that mean?
4: Yeah, so let's go back to that uh, example we're driving down the road. What we missed in that perspective was looking back and seeing that the guy that was standing on the road has this long cane that's got a red tip at the end of it. Yeah, you know, my perspective was, was shifted to what was wrong with that person and why they were angry with me, rather than seeing that they had their own perspective. Uh, so we're all limited by the way we view the world. I can't see things from another person's perspective, but it would be widening it if I tried to understand it. And so the, the problem is we begin to make assumptions from our own perspective, rather than uh, being open to the fact that other people can see things from a different place.
3: Now I want you to tell us about change is inevitable.
4: And this is one that uh, I find interesting because uh, if you look around the world, clearly, I mean, we're in the process of, you know, watching the seasons come by all the time, probably a little less (laughs) um, from further down South, but we certainly see them here. And so the world is just kind of in that constant state of change. We look at our own selves and watch our own bodies, you know, change in what's possible for them. And, so change is inevitable. The interesting thing is that we like to think that we're not going to change. Um, and so we struggle when there's change. A lot of people will say, I just I don't like change. And, I, you know, I don't know what alternative they have other than to deal with the change. And when we try to keep change from happening, we also keep growth from happening. We get stuck in our small space. Um, change is inevitable. It's just going to happen. So we can struggle against it or we can learn how to move through the change uh, and find uh, a different life, a bigger life that's in front of us.
3: Now, let's talk about your seventh topic, people do the best they can. What are you writing there?
4: Yeah, and this is uh, a lot of people confuse uh, what I'm saying with me believing that people are always at their optimum. Uh, I don't believe people are always at their optimum, but I believe so. there's a second piece to that phrase. People do the best they can, comma given where they are at that moment. Um, And this gives us a lot of ways of of building empathy for others and for ourselves. Um, Sometimes people look back on something they did years ago and they just like, you know, I can't, or even last night or or, or a week ago, I can't believe I did that. And they fail to notice that at that point they were doing the best they could. Maybe they could do better today. Maybe they will do better next week, but given where they are right then they were doing the best they can. And, And this is powerful, when we extend it to other people, Uh, I do a lot of work with couples and when a spouse can stop believing that their, their spouse has it out for them, but that, that they're the way they're acting, is coming from where they are at that moment. They suddenly find something else, which the word we would use is empathy. You know, we understand that people are struggling in their life and they're doing the best they can. Uh, in all of my years, coaching and therapy, Never had anybody come in and say, you know what, I'm just not doing the best I can. I'm just kind of floating along. Uh, when we can acknowledge that people are doing the best they can, given where they are, we give ourselves a little bit of room for mistakes and errors, and we do the same with other people.
3: Now, uh, Lee, let's talk about we all have fears.
4: I think that's the way we're wired, uh, it's what's kept us alive for you know, so many years. Um, and not just me, but, I mean, my ancestors, they were here because they were extra cautious. In fact, I think, you know, our genetic makeup has become more and more fear-driven uh, over the the centuries because the people who show no fear don't get themselves out of difficult, difficult situations, dangerous situations. And so uh, they they lose their genetic uh passage. And so we're wired naturally for fear to keep us safe. The problem is many people use fear as something to uh, avoid. You know, nobody nobody grows up going, oh, I love feeling fear. Interestingly, we say, oh, I love being excited. And it's exactly the same thing. Our body, you know, about to get on a roller coaster, that's really fear we're just interpreting differently. So the first is that we interpret that fear as something we should avoid. And so over the years, I noticed that I would talk with somebody and they had agreed to do something in coaching or or counseling. And they would come back the next week and I would say, you know, how'd that go? And they say, Oh, I didn't do it. And my next question was, why not? And their response was almost always because I was afraid. And that let me know that they were letting the fear dictate their actions rather than just acknowledging that they were having a fear and then acting anyway. And so Along the way, I realized that fear is a great um, place to, to recognize that something's important. It's really bad when we use it as an I call it being a, an avoidance indicator versus an importance indicator. An avoidance indicator means anytime I feel a little bit of fear, I'm going to step away. The importance indicator means that I'm going to say, "Oh, that's kind of important." So if I see somebody across the room and it's just that person, you know, and, and it's just something, I, somebody I could hang out with, I don't have any fear of going up and talking to them. But if I see that person, that would be really important, maybe for a relationship or for a job or something else, and I, I suddenly am overwhelmed with, with fear, that's not the reason to not go over and have that conversation. It's the reason to recognize that that's an important conversation and I need to be attending to it. And so fear is just a part of us. Um, some of us feel like you know, there's something immature or childish about being fearful. The fact is that every single person feels fear. The question is whether they let the fear hold them back or whether they take action in spite of the fear, which we call courage.
3: <clears throat> Dr. Lee Baucom is our guest from Louisville, Kentucky, talking about his new book, The Immutable Laws of Living. Lee, I want you to talk about this important topic. Your life is your responsibility.
4: Well, this is one that um, I watch a lot of people try to put their responsibilities somewhere else. Uh, We play the blame game, you know, where somebody else made me this way. My my parents or my spouse or my friends or somebody made me do this. And uh, then we are in reaction mode. And so uh, there, the, the shift is to say, I can take responsibility. And I, I love that word, responsibility, the, the ability to respond. I can choose how I'm going to respond. No matter what's going on around me, I have that moment where I'm making a choice. And a lot of times I've had people say, you know, I, I couldn't help it. I just acted that way. And, and so uh, I was talking with a person last week who was telling me how, you know, every, his wife was just driving him crazy, and so finally he would just yell. He just couldn't help it. And so I finally said, okay, let's say that you were at, in court. You know, you're standing in front of the judge. Would you yell at the judge? And he said, of course not. And I said, why not? And he said, well, because you've you got to show respect for the judge. And I said, so you're telling me you make a choice, that that is a choice you're making at some point to uh, respond to your wife that way. And, and for him, he just, he had blamed it on, you know, I can't help it's the way she acts. And in reality, at some level, if you can choose not to do it one place, you're choosing to do it when you do. And we all have those places in our lives where we would rather not be responsible for our behavior. But life is our responsibility, choosing how we want to move forward. And there really are really only two ways that things change in our life. Either something happens to us or we choose a different path. And so the choosing a different path means that we're dealing with whatever's going on around us, but we're choosing how we're going to move forward with our own lives.
3: Now, Lee, uh, tell us about what is, is, what is. You're going to have to explain that. What is, is, what is.
4: (laughs) What is is what is, yes. Uh, So uh, one of the things that is interesting to me about humans is how we try to redo what's already happened. You know, we argue Mm -hmm. with what's going on. Um, I spent my beginning of my career as a hospital chaplain, and I often had people saying, you know, why is this happening? Why did this happen? And I realized that what they were really trying to do was to find an alternate reality where it didn't happen. Um, They weren't so much—sometimes they were looking for a theological reason, but often they were just wanting it not to have happened. And so they were struggling against what is. When we can finally accept what is, then we have a chance of of looking to what we want to have next. But we can't do that until we know where we are. Uh, So uh, several uh, years ago, I had a woman that that was— massively in debt in my office, and I said, how bad is it? She said, I don't even want to look at it, and I don't want to know. And I said, you can't start digging out until you know what it is. We need to figure that out. And as soon as we figured out how bad the debt was, she could begin to put together a plan of what to do next. Sometimes what happens is people are afraid that if they accept where things are, then that's kind of the end of the game. And for me, accepting where things are is the beginning of the real game. It's the beginning of where you can finally say, this is where I want to go. If you ignore it, it's still there. You know, if you find that lump on your, your leg or your back or wherever, and you say, well, you know, I'll ignore it. It'll go away. It doesn't change what's already there. But if a doctor looks at it and says, yeah, we need to treat that. You've begun the place by accepting that that really is what is. And so in our life, uh, being able to be more accepting that where we are is where we are right now then allows us to begin to look for where we would rather be. You know, we take that responsibility of our life and decide where we want to move towards, but only when we know where we are right now.
3: Control what you can and release the rest. Yeah. That, that's your next topic, Lee.
4: Yeah. Uh, and so, sort of what I would, um, watch many times is, is we want to control the things that. We can't control like other people <laughs> mm. or events outside of us. And so we struggle with that. Uh, and you, you watch, I mean, whether you're a parent or spouse or a friend or whatever, you're trying to control people, usually fails. They're still going to do what they're going to do. And so what I realized is we really, we, we have this large area around us that is our, kind of our circle of concern, all the things we're concerned about. And then there's this little area right around us that is our circle of control. And so I believe that we have control over our aspirations, our attitude, and our actions. We can choose our aspirations are kind of what we dream of, our big hopes and desires and where we want to move to in life. We don't have much control over the fears that pop up, but we do have a choice on kind of picking where we want to move to. Our attitude, it's not so much having a positive attitude as much as having an attitude of, you know, I'll work through this. I'll figure this out. I can move forward. Um, that's, that's the attitude we can choose. We always get to choose that attitude and in our actions, we get to choose how we're going to treat other people and how we're going to move around in the world. After that, it's not in our control. And so my, um, my observation is that people spend a lot of time trying to control the things outside of those three areas, less time trying to control those three areas. And we're better served when we say, okay, what's in my control? Aspirations, attitude, and actions—that's where I'll spend my time.
3: Now, Lee, tell us about forgive to fully live.
4: We anchor ourselves to the hurts. We all do that. You know, something's happened back there, and and we want to uh, hold on to it. And, and often, people find themselves identified with that event. And there's this process uh, called forgive. <laughs> That allows us to release ourselves from that. The problem is that people misunderstand forgive. They think that it's letting the other person off the hook. Uh, they think that it's you know forgive and forget. And and you know, my observation is if you can forget it, it probably wasn't something that really required forgiveness anyway. We have all these beliefs, you know, there there are these mandates that some people feel from uh, religion of you have to forgive. And and my feeling is you get to forgive. It's it's your option to forgive. So. Uh, If you're thinking about how many times you forgive, well, countless times, because it lets you release that from the past. It lets you move forward. And so part of uh, my orientation is that forgiving allows us to freely walk forward. If we don't forgive, we're not really usually hurting whoever or whatever caused the pain back there, but we're anchoring ourselves and, and trying to drag those rocks along with us rather than deciding that we're going to release that and move forward from the process
3: life is in the now
4: which brings us back is if we're able to let go of that stuff in the past it brings us into this present Um, the danger is that we are often fixated on the past what's already happened to us or what might happen and Generally, as I've talked with people, I've noticed that they're not anchored to all the great stuff that happened in the past and all the great stuff that might happen in the future. They're always anchored to the bad stuff that's happened back there and the bad stuff that might happen, and they miss living in the moment. Um, and so much of, you know, our world is talking a lot about uh, mindfulness right now. Mindfulness is really being present with where you are. If you're eating something, it's being present in that moment of eating it. If you're having a conversation with somebody, it's really, truly being engaged in that conversation. If you're doing art to be engaged in that, we only have this moment. You know, the, the past, it's already, it's already happened. It's back there. Uh, it can inform us some, but we don't have anything going forward that we know of.
3: Dr. Lee Baucom has been our guest, talking about his book, The Immutable Laws of Living. We've got more after this right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More
2: of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat.
3: Uh, Dr. Lee Bauckham, our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, The Immutable Laws of Living. Uh, Lee was in Louisville. We go from Louisville to Birmingham, Alabama, where Julie Sparkman resides, co-founder of Restore Counseling Ministries. Uh, her new book is out, Unhitching. From the crazy train. Julie, welcome. I'm glad that we can visit here for a few minutes. How are you? Hi,
6: I'm well. It's great to be with you, Pat.
3: Uh, you're going to have to explain that title, first of all. Unhitching from the crazy train, finding rest in a world you can't control. Uh, what does all that mean?
6: Um. You know, most of the time when people think of a crazy train, they're thinking of a busy life and that maybe we just need to simplify and that'll tame the chaos. But really, chaos externally impacts us a whole lot less than chaos internally. So what we're attempting to deal with in this book is the true drivers of what's creating anxiety in our lives, which is not that there's too much busyness, but what we're watching for our cues about how to do, what to do, who it is that we're really obeying.
3: You open your book with a question mark uh, by the first chapter. Are you done yet? Question mark. Uh, You're going to have to explain that to us.
6: Yeah. Well, you know, the father invites us to rest, but it's a rest that involves surrender. And, you know, I think of the analogy of a two-year-old tying their shoe, Um, A two-year-old can't tie their shoe, but they want to be able to do it on themselves. And so the wise parent, rather than swooping in and taking over, the wise parent waits until that child has essentially exhausted their efforts. And at that point, the parent comes in. So it's the are you done yet is are you really, really worn out, weary and burdened? Have you really gotten to the end? Of your way of making life work.
3: Now we move. Until
6: we get there, we're not open
3: Mm
6: to instruction.
3: Good point. Now you move right from there to if it is to be, it is up to me. Uh, Yeah. how, How does that fit, Julie?
6: Wow, that's the sub. The, you know, the subtitle of that is the deadly theology of good choices. And you know, I I've been in the evangelical church for thirty five years, and I, I hate to say that too often, much of what we hear, much of what is printed, is you know, you do A, you do B, and then you're going to get C. And so we do that. We try to keep the rules. We try to do the right things. Um, And then we don't end up getting the picture that we feel that we were promised. And that creates quite a crisis of faith, which is often when people are coming into my office as a counselor. I did A. I did B. And I did not get C, which leads me to shame that I did it wrong or blame God did it wrong. And... The fact is, is there is no A plus B equals C. Um, That puts the onus on me, on my good choices, to get the right result, and it converts my relationship to the Father. He's no longer, it's no longer a covenant relationship, it's now a contract. I do the right things, I know what to expect. It's a solidly unbiblical, we do have choices in our lives, yes. But our choices don't create our destiny. Our destiny was written. We have to repent and be responsible for our choices of disobedience, but even our choices of disobedience do not rewrite the story that the Father had written for us when we were in our mother's womb. So that theology of, I need to do the right thing and make all the right choices, and in doing so, I can control my world is a blatantly unbiblical, but it's also deadly in that it's full of anxiety.
3: Julie, can you explain what leaving the old yoke behind means?
6: The old yoke right there, what I'm referring to is Matthew 11. the entire book is is really based off of, if you will, God's plan to rest, which is Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle in heart. You will find rest for your souls. So in order to come up under the Father's yoke, that means we have to leave our own behind. Uh, A different way of thinking about that would be our yoke is the way that we do life. It's the way that we plow the field in front of us. So... This invitation from Christ is not an open invitation. It's only to those who are really done, really, really done with it, enough so that you are willing to release the way that I have been living, which is based according to my own plan and my own agenda to get what I feel like I need to get. Am I willing to release my way of doing life and come up under the yoke with Christ? So that's what I'm referring to there is is really repenting of living as an orphan. Um, repenting not, oh, you know, God, I'm, I'm sorry for the action that I did, but I'm sorry for the belief behind the action, for the belief that you weren't going to take care of me. And so I committed this sin because I, was, I needed to take care of myself. So I talk in that chapter specifically about repentance, not being repentant merely of the action. Eve bit the apple, but of the belief in God behind the action, which was, God's not going to take care of me. You know, the gospel very simply is, you are now a son, a daughter of the king. He's going to give you everything you have. And secondly, you now have the righteousness of Christ. You no longer have to buy it, earn it, uh, do whatever to keep it and keep yourself looking good. Every sin we commit is as a result of failing to believe one or both aspects of the gospel right there. So that's what we talk about when we talk about releasing our own, own way, our old way, based on us not believing that God is for us.
3: Now, my guest, by the way, Julie Sparkman in Birmingham. Uh, the deadly theology of good choices. Uh, Julie, explain that. What does that mean?
6: I think we're often sold a bill of goods. Mm. If you do A plus B, you'll get C. Now, we're never going to say it that way in Christendom, but I want you to, if you take a walk down the aisle of a Christian bookstore and pick up nine out of ten of your books, are basically going to say, you do these three things, you'll get a good marriage. You do these eight things, you're going to get a believing child. Six things, you're going to get financial um, prosperity, but the Father doesn't work that way, because we are a covenant God, and not a contract God. And so that type of thinking, number one, puts us in charge. Um, God is trumped by our decisions, which is a terrifying thought to me personally. <laughs> mm. um, you know, if I think of uh, some, you know, often I'm told, "Oh, I married the wrong man. I disobeyed." Well, you could have disobeyed. Absolutely, you could have disobeyed in your marriage, and for that, you would need to repent. However, where was God when you were doing that? Was He over in the corner of the chapel, wringing His hands, going, Oh my goodness, I wanted so much more for her? Or has He got His arms folded? Well, yeah, I tried to tell you. you didn't listen. Someone let you lie in your bed. But the fact is, is our story was written. And we are not rewriting our story by our choices. Disobedient, obedient, all of those things are used by the Father, according to Romans eight twenty-eight, for his glory. And that was already known before we ever did it, which, again, does not take responsibility off my shoulders for my disobedience to a holy God. But even my disobedience or someone else's disobedience against me does not rewrite the story of my life or anyone else's life that I love.
3: Now, Julie, explain to us incompetent and unashamed.
6: Yeah, I'm going to get t-shirts that have that on that.
3: <laughs>
6: uh, 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 uh. You know, the, the freedom of the gospel is this. I no longer have to prove that I am competent, that I can handle it. It's Solomon. In all of his wisdom says, in the scriptures, he says, I am but a little child. We were not meant nor designed to do this life on our own. We are incompetent. Embrace that so that we can fully receive. The Father is going to make up. He is big enough to take care of whatever it is that I feel that I am incompetent about. In other words, you know, when someone comes to me and they they have a, quote, bad self-image as a counselor, you know, 90% of counselors would help work on improving your self-image. Well, frankly, I don't really want to do that because your bad self-image is is really, uh, in many ways, accurate, if you will. You're right. You're not up to the task. Thank God. You don't have to be. God needs to get bigger so that you can become, as Tim Keller refers to it, he says, uh, the beauty of self-forgetfulness. Not I'm a worm, I'm bad, whatever, but it really doesn't matter because the Father is the one doing the work anyway. So I don't have to fear my incompetence. I am incompetent. And that's why Jesus died, to release me from having to be competent. And so, no, I am not ashamed of that any longer. I don't have to hide that any longer. But also, I am not stopped by that any longer.
3: My guest from Birmingham, Alabama, Julie Sparkman. Julie, hearing Jesus... Above the roar of the train. You do a whole chapter on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what can you tell us there?
6: You know, the, the Scripture says, my sheep will know my voice. Well, how do we learn his voice? We learn his voice through the Word and through prayer. And we must live in accordance with that. We cannot live by assumption. Um, we have to live knowing I'm talking to Jesus all the way through. He's leading me, he's guiding me in whatever it is that he's doing. So often, as believers, we're really worried about ungodly behavior, stay away from all of these things. But we don't worry about Godless behavior, which is to live unaware of the movement and the direction of God in our lives. We just do life by assumption. And so... Um, what that chapter is about is about pausing, laying our assumptions aside, and asking God to speak and reveal as if we expected Him to do so. And I don't mean that He He tells me, you know, buy a yellow car, and, and I say, God told me to do that. I don't know that. It, it could be what I have for lunch. But the knowledge that... <laughs> he does speak, he is personal, makes me ask that question, discern what it is that he is saying, and move out tentatively, looking for him to confirm that. But I will never say, I know that God told me that, unless it's in the Scriptures. But that doesn't keep me from asking and attempting to discern his voice as I'm moving through my life.
3: Julie Sparkman. Julie, by the way, in your counseling... Uh, is there a common thread uh, of, of of issues that come before you? Are there a mm-hmm. couple that, that uh, uh, take precedence over all others?
6: Yeah, you know, when people come to me, it's because they have a picture in their mind of the way that they longed for life to be. You know, in that picture is whether or not they're married, who they're married to, what that person's doing whether or not there's kids in that picture, what those kids are doing, where I'm living. living—it's—it's it's the, the, the basis of our picture is just our longing for life. And that picture is not what the problem is. The picture is when we look at that picture to determine whether or not my life is good or bad or whether or not I have the favor of God or not based on how close my life is to the picture that I long for.
3: Julie Sparkman is our guest. we got another segment with Julie right after these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More
2: of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Thank you for allowing us into your homes. We are... Laureen. And Tony Giorgio, Living with Victory Ministries, formerly Compassion Children's Foundation. We advocated for seriously ill children who are falling through the cracks.
4: Join us... For Living with Victory, a program that will help you in life storms because Jesus is your umbrella.
0: Don't miss Living with Victory. Now heard twice on Sundays, 9.30 a.m. and
1: 9.30 p.m. on 94.9 FM and a.m. 950 The Word. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Christian Faith Publishing helps thousands of authors just like you publish their books with a company dedicated to strong Christian values. To help you get started, we want to send you our free author submission kit. Christian Faith Publishing reviews every book submitted to us. And if your book is approved, we'll edit, design, copyright protect, print, and distribute your book online and in bookstores everywhere. Imagine seeing your book in specialty Christian bookstores, Amazon, iTunes, Barnes & Noble, and many others. It could happen, and it all starts with one call to Christian Faith Publishing at 800 1012 for your free author submission kit. If you have a novel, children's book, poetry, biography, or any inspirational work you've written, we can help you get it published today. Shouldn't you work with a publisher who shares your Christian values of integrity and honesty? You can get your book published. So call for your free author submission kit right now. Call 800-566-1012. That's 800-566-1012. 800-566-1012.
0: A one-night event. He
4: just arrived. He cannot survive alone.
0: We will find him. Phoenix Wilder and the Great Elephant Adventure.
4: Nothing can stop us!
0: An inspiring story for the entire family. There's a very
6: bad man. They're killing elephants. The
0: story of a 13-year-old orphan, Phoenix Wilder, who befriends an elephant on the African savannah. I think this means we're friends now. And together, they battle elephant poachers. Let's go! One night only. at a theater near you April 16th. Click phoenixwilder.com.
2: You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word.
3: Now, once again, here's Pat. Julie Sparkman, uh, the author of Unhitching from the Crazy Train. She's with us. And, uh, Julie, we've arrived at this topic, aligning your thinking with your theology. Uh, Can you fill us in on that? What's that mean?
6: Oh, Pat, I am so excited about that chapter right there because... um to be honest, that's probably the bulk of what I spend doing um, in my practice, is teaching people um, not just what you should be thinking, but what, in fact, you really are thinking. Because I think a real problem in you know, my practice is largely made up of believers, uh, people who may have even been raised in the Church, and they know their theology. But a lot of the time, we're not living what we, quote, know. There's a huge disconnect. The, the mother that says, oh, I, yes, God is sovereign. And yet she's writing emails to the, her child's principal at 3 in the morning, you know, saying, you've got to put my kid in this other class because she knows she's going to go down in flames if she's not. Okay, that shows a big disconnect between how we're living and what we're really believing slash thinking. And so in that chapter, I teach a method to discover what it is that I'm really thinking that's creating my feelings, that's creating my action. Because the problem is not just in the action. It's not going to be, well, just stop doing that. And the problem isn't also, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Both of those things are coming from the driver, the thinking. The bottom line is, if I'm on my own, that's going to hugely skyrocket my anxiety And I'm going to behave out of that often like a woman who is crazy, which, by the way, the definition of crazy is a sharp departure from um, normal or desired behavior. So when I say I'm acting crazy, what that means is, is I am not acting like my true self at all. Even though that might be what I do a lot, I have a new heart. And when I am not acting out of my new heart, but instead I'm acting out of the flesh... I do stuff, yell at my kids, uh, tell, quote, little white lies, whatever, because I am not living out of my true heart. I'm living out of my flesh, my, my false desires, telling me, oh, you, you've got to clean up your act, you've got to look good, etc. I act like an orphan. And that drives behavior. that I don't, even, I don't even want to be that person, even though I am being that person. But it's my thinking That's getting me there.
3: Julie, explain to us your final chapter, resting in your treasure. Uh, What does that mean?
6: You know, when in John, uh, Jesus talks about the fool, uh, the wealthy man that was the fool that says, you know, uh, I'm having a great time, rest, relax, because my barn is full. And everything's just fine because I've got what I want. Are we, th- is that true rest? No. Because even when we arrive in our picture, even when for moments things are good, we know that in any second we could be catapulted right out of that picture. The marriage that I dreamed of, the marriage that's wonderful, it's right in my picture. My husband has a heart attack and it's over. So the scripture there makes it clear, you fool, this night your life could be required of you. Your rest and peace best not be in life is pretty good. I got things the way that I want things. But instead, he says later, um, you are now free. The Father has now given you your righteousness. You no longer have to fight for it anymore. The Father is now providing. Everything that you need, you don't have to scrap and scramble for it anymore. If those two things are true, you are now free. Not to just take a rest and enjoy yourself, but in fact, when someone takes heavy rocks out of my backpack, the next thing I want to do is get up and move faster, harder to holiness. And in addition to that, I want to tell other people, hey, let me help you get these rocks out of your backpack, too. Um, Because we have now been freed to do our true calling, which is to glorify the Father in every single moment I'm in. And there's nothing, no person and no circumstance that can ever keep me from fulfilling my true calling. That's, That's freedom. That's rest.
3: Julie Sparkman. Her book is called Unhitching from the Crazy Train. Julie, by the way, uh, how have the themes of this book impacted your own life, and how has your counseling ministry influenced the writing of this book?
6: The writing of this book really came right out of the counseling room, um, because I'll bet you I said six times in one week, you've got to unhitch from that crazy train right there. That's, that's really, that, that idea in your head of the way that life has to be, that's what's making you miserable, not your reality, but how you're comparing your reality to what, quote, should be. And that causes people to be so incredibly full of anxiety when we have decided this is the way that it has to look, and so I'm going to go to a counselor to help me uh, corral and control the people and the circumstances into my life to get them into my picture. Well, guess what? Um, I've been there and done that, <laughs> and I can't do it, and I sure can't teach you to do it. Um, but I've also learned I don't, I don't hate my picture. I don't shame my picture. It is a, it's a good thing. It, many of my longings come straight from the Garden of Eden. Only thing is, now I live in a fallen world. So I don't proclaim my picture to be bad. But I also don't proclaim my picture to be right and what I need. And so a lot of what I teach people to do is learn to live outside your picture and in reality, submitting, surrendering to the fact that even if I'm outside of the picture, right here, I am in the Father's picture, always. So what's he doing outside of my picture? What is he doing? And we begin to look for that. that's where hope is is seeing where God is outside of my picture, not how to get into the picture so and I have to say you know as a as a mother, probably more than anything that exposed as my children grew into adults, um, they're harder and harder to push into that picture and um I was exhausting myself. I tell a lot of stories in there um, about how I've ruined numerous Christmases trying to, quote, create wonderful memories. (laughs) And I did create lots of memories, but they weren't the ones that I wanted to Mm. Um, because um, I was driving everybody into my picture and um, seeing finally after 50 plus years, hey, this isn't working. (laughs) And I'm miserable and everyone else is, too. What is Jesus after? Because it certainly isn't the same thing that I'm after right here. And so I need to surrender to where he's going. And I'm learning, learning, and I will until the day that I die, uh, to find peace and rest even when I'm not in my picture, which is most of the time.
3: Julie, what do you want people to take from this book? That
6: you're not an orphan anymore. And if you're not an orphan... If you have a father who has is giving you all of what you need, he promises this. And if now, because of Jesus Christ, you no longer have to work for your righteousness or to prove anything to anyone, what would your life look like? And how would it change if those two things were what you were really living out of?
3: Julie Sparkman. Julie, thanks a million. This has been a Wonderful visit! Congrats on your book, and Thank uh, you. I'm so glad that we could hook up here. And me uh, too. Continued success to you, Julie. Thanks so much, Pat. Julie Sparkman, author of Unhitching from the Crazy Train. Uh, we've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, this is ninety-four point nine FM, AM nine fifty. The Word in Orlando. And remember that faith comes by hearing. We'll be back right after this.
2: More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word.
1: Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? For your free quote, call 800-494-2323. That's
3: 800-494-2323. 800-494-2323.
0: Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Their price could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states.
2: You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The word.
3: Now, once again, here's Pat. Thanks for joining us here, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Dr. Lee Baucum was our guest in the first segment from Louisville. And then Julie Sparkman joined us talking about her book on hitching from the crazy train. Please visit my website it's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my latest book is out. It's called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. Revel is the publisher. It's in bookstores. Amazon.com. Always a wonderful way uh, to order books. We will be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, this is 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word. Stay tuned all day long, and you'll get beautiful, beautiful insights about living the Christian life. Have a great day tomorrow and a wonderful week ahead, and we'll see you next weekend, folks.
2: Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time, where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word.